All right, Eric, are you there? I am. Uh, good afternoon to you, sir. Likewise. <laughs> uh, thanks for making time for this. Um, last week I had uh, Matt Weinberg from uh, Vector Media Group out of New York, and um, the both of you were really on the top of the list, um, mainly you because we were in that uh, EE Help chat together a few weeks ago, and you, you came in, and I had, uh, I had posed the topic of, you know, how do you guys generate new business for your companies? And the people in that chat were sort of talking back and forth. And you had a lot of, seemed like you had a lot of input, and you, I, th I thought you had a lot more to say. It was really uh, watching you in there that gave me the idea to do this series. Hmm. I thought it would be worthwhile to go a little bit more in depth with people who have, I think, thought about this issue a lot. Um, so the other thing I want to do is I want to, um, you know, in, in successive talks with other people on this topic, I want to try to build on what we've done before. So I want to build on what we have already covered. So in the sure. case of, in the case of Matt, I came to him and I, I had this premise. I posed the question to him. I said, all right, so what do you guys do at Vector when things get slow? How do you generate new work? And... I think he was, he's a nice guy. He was too polite to tell me that my, the question itself was wrong. Um, the structure of Vector, uh, the structure of his organization is, is like that, um, it's like that movie and play, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, where, you know, that part where they say, always be closing. Their structure is set up where they're always in the process of generating leads, developing sales, um, getting new projects into the pipeline. Um, and the whole structure of the organization is around that. I mean, one of the partners is, a biz, is the biz dev person, and this person does sales all the time. He's always working the clients and the network and going to events and that sort of thing. They rely on their location uh, to really do a lot of work for them, so they have opportunities to talk to other agencies and firms nearby, and they see people in person, and they go to networking events and, and uh, throw events themselves. They do all that sort of stuff. So location is important. Um, they do advertising and they are continually refining their um, presence, uh, their SEO and, um, and their, their brand awareness. We talked about brand awareness quite a bit actually. So those are some things that came up in the conversation. Really the thrust of it was we're always selling is, is kind of what he was telling me. My point of view is uh, at SoulSpace, the business has been developed over the last decade just by word of mouth. I mean, we've never really reached out and gone and grabbed someone by the collar and brought him into the company as a new client. Never cold called, never done anything like that. So when times get quiet, I'm like, all right, now what do I do? <laughs> That's pretty much the kind of conversation I want to have. Does, does what Matt talked about with me resonate with you, or do you feel like you're more in the camp like me where... I just wait for um, word-of-mouth business to come my way. What do you guys do? Yeah, so, well, first, just thanks for hitting me up on this. Uh, I absolutely love talking about this kind of stuff, so I'm, uh, I'm just excited to, to have a chance to chat with you a little bit. Well, introduce um, yourself for just a second. I, I, I already talked for five minutes, so sorry about that. So <laughs> no problem say, at all. Say a couple um, of things about Focus Lab. Tell us about sure. you. I know you present at every EECI, and you give really good, compelling uh, talks. You're always well-prepared, so... Tell people who may not know you who you are and what you're about. Sure. Uh, well, Focus Labs has been around for a few years. Uh, I guess it's coming up on uh, three. We officially say three, uh, but my business partner and I, uh, Bill, Bill Kenny, and I have been working together for about six or seven years. 
And uh, we used that three years ago, Mark, because that's when we both officially quit our daytime jobs and started doing this full time. And um, we have um, been primarily working on expression engine development and um, graphic design. Lately, that's turned uh, a lot into branding, a branding focus. We, we do a lot of branding work and, and UI work right now. Um, but you know, Bill, he's our creative director. He's the, the design dude, and I'm the technical director, so I'm the, the nerd. And uh, we oversee kind of our respective areas of interest in the company. Um, Company-wise, we're pretty small. We, we're about six or seven people. Um, we have five people in Savannah and, and uh, two people who are not in Savannah. And we're um, having some some fun times these days. We're growing. Uh, we've we've been, um, you know, I'll get a little bit more into this. But last year we were really intentionally slow to grow. We we had a bit of the, we had the brakes on, if you will, just so that we could work on uh, internally, kind of strengthening our team uh, as we grew a little bit. Um, we really didn't want the quality of work for our clients to go down just because of our success. Um, so we said no to a lot of things last year. Um, but we still had a good year. We, we basically doubled our revenue year over year. So it was a good year. Congratulations. Um, thank you. It, it was fun. Um, it, it was also kind of painful to say no to a lot of cool opportunities, but we felt like it was in the best interest of our you know, long term and of our clients in general um, who we already had agreements with. Um, and so this year uh, we, are, we changed up things a little bit. Um, it, one of the reasons I'm really intrigued and interested in talking about the sales stuff right now is is you know last year I intentionally avoided sales um, because we did have enough word of mouth and that's kind of how we got where we are was lots of word of mouth um, but then uh, I guess one thing that got me specifically in a position in the expression engine community um, of you know having the opportunities to speak at these conferences and do all the do other fun stuff um, I, I guess I need to backpedal just a little bit. Um, Expression Engine has been really, really big for us in general. It, it kind of uh, paved the way for um, a lot of our success. Uh, and it's not necessarily the software itself, but the, 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 the strategy that we've had in using it and in the community. Um, when I first started using Expression Engine, when I still worked for someone else and, and uh, uh, before, before Focus Lab even had the name Focus Lab, um, I noticed that there were some key players in the EE world, um, funny enough, you guys were one of them, Soul Space. Um, I think at that point Matt was, was still on, he was on the radar for me as well, and Vector. Um, and you know there were some other companies that I noticed kind of were all over the place in, in Expression Engine. And then when I'd go and look about look up about kind of what those companies did, it almost solely uh, centered around this one piece of software. And I found that really interesting. And this is this is before I really was running a business or anything. So. The, the whole idea of running a business was foreign to me, uh, but it was intriguing. And so I, I saw some people doing that, and so I was like, well, maybe if I learn every freaking thing I can about one thing, then I can you know, have a, some way to quit my job and have my own business. And so Expression Engine, I really liked it, and that's kind of what I chose to do. Uh, so for a few years, I was digging in the code, the core code. I was in the, the support forums when they were pretty active. Um, finding people with problems and just helping them solve problems uh, while solving my own problems, learning how to develop add-ons um, and things like that. And um, eventually came up with a couple of goals uh, centered around the software. The first one was that I wanted to um, somehow be seen or recognized in Savannah, in my local area, in my local market, as an expression engine guy. But that's not necessarily 
an expression engine guy, but the expression engine guy, which is really not that hard because really nobody in Savannah really even knows what expression engine is. Um, so if I'm the only guy around and somebody's looking at expression engine locally, then hopefully I can come up. Either way, that, that was something that I wanted to have happen. I thought that would be kind of handy. Um, the second thing is that I wanted to be some form of a recognizable name in the EE community. And I really know how to measure that, but I knew I wanted that and that it would be helpful just for the sake of peer-to-peer -peer referrals, colleague referrals. And the third thing is that I wanted to speak at a conference, um, an Expression Engine-centric conference. And this was uh, fresh out of the first EECI announcement um, that I decided that I thought that would be a, a good thing, um, just in general from an exposure stance. And over time, uh, I saw all those three, all the, all three of those goals um, come to fruition, which was really cool. Uh, but more importantly, I saw how um, my experience and and understanding of the software and my position community-wise was helping my business. Uh, was getting me leads from colleagues, was getting me leads from um, uh, blogs I was writing about the topics and just things like that. Organic search results, paid search results, um, things we were helping uh, on the expression engine side, helping us get exposure. And um, I mentioned paid search results, that's a very tiny portion of our efforts, but really over, over a few years of doing this work um, we we just had enough sales to kind of react to and pay the bills. So when I talk about our sales pre-2013, they're, they're pretty much reactive. Everything is people coming to us, and we react and say, yeah, we can help you, or no, we can't. Um, however, we you know had the brakes on last year a lot, and so I didn't have to worry about sales. We were fortunate enough to have those, those colleague referrals and, and client referrals coming our way. Um, but this year we want to blow last year out of the water. We really do. Uh, and so to do that, we need to be a little bit more strategic with our sales. So back in November, in an effort to prepare for January, uh, we changed our sales process a little bit. So we're a little bit, um, uh, or I'm, I'm trying to learn more about things that I can do uh, differently and not just react to people. But frankly, we have a really killer design team and um, we get a lot of referrals just from their work and their exposure in the Dribbble community. And so we haven't even started to really do any proactive selling that, uh, that Matt described. So really, we're still in the same boat that, that SoulSpace is in that uh, it's kind of word of mouth or it's reactive selling and not necessarily us drumming up sales um, uh, on a um, you know, planning basis. Uh, that being said, we're, we're very likely going to be tweaking that throughout this calendar year. So what are you going to do? What, um, you know, the, the, the presence of your, well, the, the competence and expertise of your design side as well as your, uh, your, your expertise with expression engine, your technical depth, you're saying that those two things are, um, are powering the word of mouth that's uh, natural for our types of business. Um, so what's, what are you adding to that? Uh, here's the thing I'm really interested in in, this, in these conversations is what, what is it that we can actually control and craft such that we uh, exercise some influence over the you know, incoming sales leads and the incoming opportunities? Um, how can we move ourselves from passive to an active stance? Sure. So just real quick, you, you mentioned that the, the expertise kind of fuels or powers some of those referrals, and I think that that's definitely part of it. Um, but uh, I think a bigger part, at least on our side, um, has been not just our experience and, and abilities, but the, 
the um, experience that our customers receive or, or have when they work with us. Um, that's that drives referrals for us more than our abilities. So the way we treat our customers, the way we're on time, the way we're on budget, uh, that doesn't have anything to do with our design or development capabilities necessarily. Um, it has a lot to do with how we plan, how we treat our customers, um, and, and how we communicate. And I think that has a lot more to do with any possibility of a referral than you know our technical or design capabilities. Um, but to, to, to your question, um, what, what we intend to do is to, that really, we have one plan at this point. Um, and mainly this is because, you know, in our small size, we don't have the, um, I guess, the means or the current interest to bring someone in-house who is strictly um, sales-oriented. And um, part of that is, is uh, you know, with our, with our size and with our industry, we we sell a project and say that project is three or four months. Well, then we can't sell something for three or four months if we're booked necessarily. Yeah. Yeah. So, so having someone on full time sales that means that they're going to be interested in selling, and I'm not going to want to stop them from selling. Yeah. But then they start outselling our ability to deliver. That's and always, we that's always we, been my concern about having someone dedicated in a full time sense or even part time to yeah. always doing some sort of sales. Is sure. that it would bring in too much volume, and, and I wasn't in a position to structure the entire rest of the company to be large enough to accommodate that volume. So I thought, all right, well, yeah. I need someone maybe every Monday to come do sales. But that's, that's absurd. That doesn't work. It just doesn't right. happen. Yeah, so with us, um, and that's, that's a really, really important point. We, we don't want to outsell what we can do, um, mainly because we don't want to just grow and grow and grow really, really fast. We want to grow a little bit, learn how to work like that, and then decide if we want to get bigger later. Um, you know, I, I don't have Bill and I don't have any interest in exploding overnight, so to say. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I, I'm I'm I'll, I'll say this freely because I had nothing to do with it really. But the design team at Focus Lab is killing it right now, and we have a lot of interest in sales people coming or people coming to us uh, wanting us to work on their stuff, and we could just say yes to everything and hire and hire and hire. Uh, but that would, uh, I think that would weaken us long term, um, and and we want to build something that is really strong at the foundation. And so we're going to be very intentionally slow uh, in our hiring process, very intentionally slow in our our growth and commitment to new projects. So the idea of of a salesperson full time um, is is it just doesn't attract me uh, simply. So basically, I've. I pretty much own that role of business development, and okay. um, Bill does a lot of the uh, um, communication in the sales process from the design perspective. Uh, but he and I um, collectively don't have a desire to either give away part of our company to have someone who's in here full time doing that kind of stuff, or even the interest in hiring someone. From a cash flow perspective, we could hire someone, but then they'd just be bored because we wouldn't wouldn't want them to bring in projects at certain times. Yeah. So, so it's a weird spot. And I've actually talked to a couple of folks fairly recently about this. I I've been curious if there's such a thing as like you know a freelance salesperson. You know, it's a kind of what you described, sort of like a maybe on Mondays or a occasionally working on sales stuff. Um, but it just seems strange because really an effective salesperson is is at least in the companies like ours we. Um, we want projects where we are interested in the people more so than the project. Yeah. 
And, and to do that, if someone was doing freelance sales with us, they would really have to be inside our heads as owners. That's right. They'd, they'd have to be really aware of our company's goals, our company's culture, our company's processes and, and abilities. And, you know, I, I don't know if that's even possible for like a, a freelancer or a part-time person to do. I don't know. I'm in the middle of trying to figure that out. I'm actually not even in the middle. I'm in the beginning of trying to figure that out. So well, that person may be out there. Well, but. We've, got, we've got two really juicy threads in our conversation right now. I want to make sure we, we give them both attention. The whole point of this thing is that I get to go deep on, on topic. So we've sure. got two things happening. You've said several times, and I'm just going to use my own terminology for it, there's a lot of power in saying no. Mm-hmm. So I want to come back to that and talk about that in depth. The other thing is, uh, in this, I'm picking this up. As I'm listening to you, I'm thinking about what Matt talked about. And um, had I talked to you first and then talked to him, I would have said, all right, so the business development person is in, does a great deal to shape the company. Um, I think you could argue that. And I think that sounds like one of your concerns, and that's been one of my concerns. You could bring someone on temporarily. You could bring someone on who's maybe 100% commission, who comes in and just works very occasionally. But you miss the point. You miss the fact that the clients you take, in other words, the, the company you keep, defines you. So the clients you're bringing in are defining the shape of your company. And they're defining your interactions, and they're defining what your team needs to be to uh, accomplish the client's goals and, and meet their challenges. So we got those two threads I want to make sure we talk about. Let's take, take the second one first. So you put the business development hat on from time to time, and it's you as one of the founders, as one of the two principals at Focus Lab, you're in the position to help shape the company um, as you're doing the sales process. So touching on this other topic we have going, you say no to some clients. Um, let's talk a little bit more a little bit more about how the business development process and the sales process works to define your company and shape it. Do you have any thoughts on that? Sure, yeah. You know, we, we've been, um, a lot has changed for us just in a short period of time. You know, in, in, in the three years that we've been um, in our office today, we've gone from having, for example, a lot of local mom and pops to almost no local f- footprint at all. Um, we've gone from having um, uh, you know, two people doing everything to me barely writing any code today. Um, we we've had a lot of change, and I'm so, so sorry to hear that. <laughs> no, it's no, such that's a sad thing. That that that's it's been my goal the whole time, though. Um, that my my goal has been and will continue to be for me to not write code. Oh wow! Um, and I, I really I really enjoy writing code, uh, but there are a lot of smarter people out there um, who who are going to be much more capable and and can help uh, you know help us and help our clients and. You know, I um, I tell people that a lot one on one, and it's, this is probably the one of the first times I've you know mentioned it on a any type of um, um, uh, distributed discussion, I guess. Yeah. Uh, but you know, really, uh, since before I was writing uh, anything for Expression Engine, I, I wanted to be a business owner. I didn't really know what it meant, but I, I wanted to work with people. Uh, I, I'm I'm all about people. I, I really I like code, but it's I, it's not it isn't really a um, bring forth a lot of passion in, from inside me, and and uh, it does when it has to do with people. Um, so, so you know, if I'm helping somebody by writing some code, then that's good. But really, just working with people, um, it, it really really excites me. I, I really like that. So you know, long term, for a while, my goal has been to not write code, and I'm really really pleased to say that I'm not really writing a lot of code these days. Um, so, it, you know, I kind of got on a, a little 
box there. I don't even remember where I was going because um, I was trying to describe, you know, what I do today hardly reflects what I did two or three years ago. Um, and and uh, so my perspective continues to change. And so with the changes that, that have kind of been in motion in terms of my role, um, we've kind of tweaked sales accordingly. So in the past, our sales, say two years ago, for example, we were really dev heavy in terms of our revenue. Uh, a lot of our revenue was coming from expression engine referrals directly, not really a lot of design work. Uh, the design was sort of supporting the expression engine uh, sales leads. And so we were acting like and perceived as an expression engine shop. And that was kind of like it. Um, well, uh, sometime along the way, our design team kind of hit this little spot where uh, stylistically um, they were getting a lot of attention on Dribble. I kind of go back to Dribble, and I'll, I will, I'll talk about a little more about Dribble in a while because that's really, really important to us um, on the sales level. But uh, we we were doing a lot of expression engine stuff, and and that kind of you know drove the again the perception of us being an EE shop, and then also the fact that it's kind of how we thought. It's uh, how Bill and I operated and thought. Um, over time, though, as the design team grew in in, in their abilities and really also their exposure through various social uh, areas on the web, um, we, we actually changed a little bit of our, um, our approach. So we, we started to focus less on the fact that we were um, uh, experienced in Expression Engine and more on us being um, a bit of a, a dev and design shop. We started noticing on sales calls that that people were saying, I'm really surprised you guys do both of those in-house. And we're like, really? Is that not normal? Because we don't go out and you know um, uh, research our competition or anything. We're just kind of having some fun and doing some work for clients. Um, you know, we're not, we're not uh, interested in, at this point, spending a whole lot of time thinking about our competition, mainly because all our sales have been reactive and we haven't had any need to do that. Um, but you know, we started to notice a pattern, though, that people were, were telling us that they were glad or surprised that we could not only do the design or we could also do the development or the vice versa not only could we do the development but we could also help with design so we started to allow that um, experience in our sales process shape um, how we how we um, I guess phrased or or uh, spoke about ourselves as a company not only on our website but um, in our um, sales calls and whatnot as well and and now we're we're almost a bit more aware that we do have this this different um, strength than we realize, which is that we kind of a one-stop shop for some of that stuff. Yeah. Um, so in that instance, this, the sales did actually kind of shape or, or change, maybe not our company, maybe we were already that way, but we at least realized that we were that well, way. You, I mean, if, if absolutely nothing else, you know for sure that the design side of your company is uh, a critical piece, that you, you can't just chop it. Sure. Um, you, you, you wouldn't want to jettison it. You know now its importance and its power. Um, th there's been a, a few occasions when I've had the opportunity to talk to people who are just going just starting out in business. They're just uh, founding their company and they're, they're just getting moving. And one of the things I tell them about my experience is that your first few clients are the representatives of the marketplace for you. And they're, if you listen carefully, they're going to tell you what the marketplace needs. And if you combine what they say with um, your own insight, then they're going to be able to shape your company and your offering. So when I first started out, it became clear that clients out there, small, you know, small-scale clients, needed uh, content management. 
and they didn't have it and they were afraid of HTML and they didn't want to have to learn it and they wanted a tool to let them manage a site and that prompted me to go look for you know what what kind of tools were available and it was P machine at the time and some other stuff so the the incoming clients can shape uh, through their demand they can shape your company um, but you exercise some control over that too through the power of saying no so we get to talk about the other topic which mm -hmm. is um, you turn people away and so do we and so does Matt and so does everybody out there who has any sense as a matter of fact it's so important there's uh, there's a funny story I heard many years ago of a marketing firm in LA that just uh, they were just a startup and they had some experience with the founding partners who had been in the industry for a while for the first six months they were really loud about having started this new company they promoted themselves a lot but they didn't take any jobs they didn't take any work for the first, I don't know how many months, that's six or so months. They turned everybody away. And it worked. They generated all this demand because, oh, you, they must be pretty incredible if they're always turning work away. They must be so busy, right? <laughs> so, I mean, that's an extreme example, and it may not even be true. It may be just been a rumor I heard, but that principle does apply. I mean, you, you turn away business, um, it, sometimes it has a side effect of saying to a client, well, not only do we know who we are, and we know what we're about and where we're headed, and we're really busy and in demand, but we also know that you're not a good fit for us. And there's someone else who can serve you out there better than we. And we, we know how we're defining ourselves. So tell me about how you say no, when you do, and what it means, and uh, the power of it. And when would you let go of that? Like, when would you just start saying yes all the time? Sure. That, well, yeah, I have a, a, a particular appreciation for the word no um, that's developed over uh, a number of bad experiences saying yes at the wrong time. Um, and so we, we say no in a, a few different um, scenarios. The, the most obvious and the simplest um, uh, one to describe is, is when the price isn't right. Um, so if we have you know, a request come in that is to build a big old website with lots of big old branding pieces and they've got ten dollars then you know I have to say no we don't you know we can't service you um, your budget doesn't meet the the cost and in, in involved and that's a pretty easy chat to have uh, easy reason to say no um, it's just simply qualifying the customer in, in the sales process and if that's not uh, a fit then it's not a fit um, there are times though when it gets a little gray uh, because they you know, we might come up with a proposal of some sort, and it's you know not an extreme number off. It's you know a few hundred or a few thousand dollars off, or you know, maybe ten thousand dollars off. And we you know have an interest in working with the person. Again, kind of goes back to uh, one of our little mantras: is that we're about people, not projects. So you know, if if the people are just awesome, and we know that it would be just fun to work with them, they've got you know a solid understanding of what they're trying to achieve, and they have a problem we feel like we can solve and, and all of this, then we'll take a hit to work with people like that because it's going to make our day and our team's day that much more enjoyable. And that's more important you know, to me than the bottom line. That's kind of an invisible part of the bottom line, uh, running a company. And so we, we sometimes turn those, um, what would be a no on paper or in math, we would turn that into a yes. Mm -hmm. uh, so it, it does get gray even when you're just talking about you know the budget or, or what have you. Um, another time we'll say no is if uh, a project is just not uh, ethically something we're interested in. That happens really rarely, 
but uh, we have had some in some instances where where uh, I think the first time this happened, we almost thought it was a joke. Uh, but somebody was was inquiring uh, with us about building a basically a mail order bride website, <laughs> and I, I had to say, um, I'm sorry that we can't we're not interested in doing that. Um, so we we've had some uh, we some only interesting. We do that on the barter system. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, so we've had some some instances like that, but honestly, I can probably count that all on one or two hands. Yeah. Uh, the the times that we've had to say no for ethical reasons. Um, we've had some times when when the person just simply stinks at communicating. Um, we, you know, a few emails and the phone calls in, you tend to get a good idea of what the communication will be like with this person long term. And if we feel like they're going to be a pain, then we pretty much just tell them we're not the company for them. Um, some people are really shocked by that because they're trying to throw money at you and you don't want it. Uh, and you know, so a lot of people just have a different mindset. They think that money drives everything, and you know, really with us it doesn't. It's a factor, but it's really not a not a, a decision maker. So we we have had um, instances where we tell people no just because we can't seem to communicate well with them. And sometimes it's not us, it's them, and sometimes it's not them, it's us. But either way, uh, we're not the fit. Um, so we'll say no in, in scenarios like that. And uh, I'm trying to think if there are other instances that are kind of recurring ones uh, of where we would say no. Um, but I can't think of anything else jumping out at me. Well, you have to say no when you're too busy. You said that earlier. Oh, yeah. Well, to us, that's not necessarily a no. That is a, uh, how, when do you need it and can, yeah, can you, you wait? Can you wait? Are you willing yeah. to wait? Can we stack you into the queue? Yeah. So, so t too busy is definitely a no. How often do you um, get a yes to that? Say that again? How often do you get a yes to that? How often do you, do you get a yes to, you know, we're busy for three months. Um, we can, we, you know, we can plan your project and put you on the calendar and take your deposit and you know, line you up. Do you ever get people who go for that? Oh, uh, we do. Um, we have had uh, a number of folks say yes because they're really interested in working with our design team. Again, those design team dudes—they're rock stars—and um, and we get uh, quite a bit of interest just based on the stuff that they share on Dribble uh, and the other work that's in our portfolio. And so we do have people who come and say, you know what, um, I'll wait, and and I want to work with you guys. And we we're very honored to, to you know have people say that to us and it's Absolutely just uh, right. it's it's really fun to be a part of that and I have nothing to do with it I just get to you know smile on the other side <laughs> well I mean you hired them right more or less <laughs> and you you run a company that they want to work for right yeah yeah that part I can say so how do you retain these people if you have such a killer design team how do you retain them and, and keep them from being scooped it scooped up by Facebook or the like well that's actually um, funny enough I don't know if I can legally say but a certain company that may or may not be named Facebook um, has inquired about scooping us up, um, but we have. Uh, I think it's just our mentality. Our um, our culture is a weird word because it's one of those like it's one of those words that some people just think is overused. But I'll use it anyways. I, I think it does have to do with our culture. Yeah. Uh, we're small. We're very personable, and we really do take care of our people. Um, and um, you know, it's kind of like Henry Ford's philosophy of, of high salaries and, and maintaining people or keeping people. We may not have really high salaries, but um, we try and we try to. Uh, um, I, I don't know. How to, that's a whole other discussion we can have. But really, try to just take care of our people. Uh, but again, we're we're really young, so I don't even think we've started to see the impact that that problem will have on our company long term, where people are actually noticing, uh, you know, certain. Designers or developers, and saying, you know, I'm going to go try and uh, grab them for us. Uh, I honestly think we're going to have a more experience to answer that question in the coming years. Yeah. 
Well, I think we'll circle back, and I think the next series I have in mind for this um, is business structure, and part of that is team uh, structure. Mm -hmm. um, because the, the firms that we run are, they're, it's all people. It's all people-centric. Yeah. Um, I mean, in our case, we have some products that are pretty important, and they are a big part of our revenue. Um, but really, the bulk of our revenue is all about the people relationships. The team dynamic uh, and how the team presents itself and the, the vibe that they impart to clients who come in. Um, and then also the sort of clients that we choose to work with and that show up in our portfolio. Um, do, your, do your clients... Um, th think about this for a minute. Um, there was a time when we did a lot of uh, political campaign consulting work. So mm -hmm. we had relationships with uh, political campaign consultants, in, uh, mainly in San Francisco. Um, there were a few firms who would come to us to build up uh, websites really quickly for candidates or issues um, that they were you know, running campaigns for. And the nice thing about that was the nature of that kind of client is those are highly networked people. Um, consultants of that type uh, network and talk to one another, even if they're competitors. They're always talking to each other about their resources and tools and their tricks of the trade and so forth. So when we would serve someone well in that environment, it would uh, multiply into a lot more work because it was, uh, it was fertile ground. I, I describe that as a client profile. So uh, that was a client profile for a while. In the very beginning, I did wedding websites, so that was a client profile. So a client profile is, you know, how much does this type of client normally have to spend? What are their expectations? What level of design are they expecting? How complicated is the, are their software requirements? Um, are they a large organization? Are they a nonprofit? Are they a mom and pop shop? Are they a startup? Do you ever think in terms of client profiles uh, with respect to um, how the current structure of your organization um, serves as a gravity to bring in new work? Yeah, we do, and that's a fairly new thing for us, too. Uh, it's something that Bill and I have talked a bit about, and um, we have actually done nothing proactively in regards to kind of what we would consider a, an ideal client in a, in a, in a certain area, um, but we have noticed over you know, the past few years uh, the types of, of folks that we really enjoy working with and the, you know, the things that those companies tend to value, and some of that uh, is somewhat industry-specific, um, and we... Right now, we're at the tail end of, uh, of revamping our own Focus Lab website, and we are putting a hold on any kind of um, further, uh, I guess, um, intentions of reaching out to people proactively again um, until we get that website out. We just feel like that's going to be a much better representation of who we are as a company, uh, kind of what we can do. But yeah, we have um, a particular... Um, I guess trend or, or pattern that we're seeing over the past year that we've seen uh, in who wants to work with us and who we enjoy working with and it tends to be um, centered around a particular profile of, of a smaller company uh, funded or not funded that doesn't really seem to have much effect um, but somebody who has a need and appreciation for uh, design and how design impacts um, a uh, consumer or or maybe not necessarily a consumer but this person's target um, how it affects behavior and decisions and the design side of that has really um, moved us into a place that we didn't expect to be but really like being 
and it's just um, again it's an appreciation for design that we didn't really have it I'm sure it's here locally in Savannah somewhere but our local clients didn't really have that uh, and so we were just doing work that that paid the bills and we knew that much um, but just really in the past 18 24 months um, we've been working with some people who really value um, kind of our, our design process or not even our process we didn't make it up just the design process uh, of, of coming to, to something that not only looks good but also kind of evokes certain emotion or action in certain scenarios yeah. um, so we've been sort of in a way cr trying to create these personas or, or, or client profiles of, of who we want to target coming up um, and that actually already influences who we respond to faster or what we respond or in what way we respond um, but that's all still really new to us. Um, so it's interesting that you that you bring that up, and I think you mentioned it uh, in that in that chat a few weeks back. Um, just the idea of having a client profile is that something that you guys tend to come up with um, proactively or or kind of reactively looking backwards, yeah, just it's, noticing it's backwards. It's backwards yeah. looking. It's a really yeah. good question. Is you know, you're calling me on the carpet. You're like, all right, so you got this idea of a client profile. What does it do for you? That's I, I have to ask myself that. I look backwards and I say, oh, look, we, you know, we have relationships with these marketing and design firms who need a, a, a really um, strong uh, expert technical partner to execute on, on the software side of some of these really complicated things they design for their clients. So we have these relationships with firms um, and they fit a profile, um, but that's, that's reactive. Um, just because I right. have a profile doesn't mean I've done anything about it. It um, doesn't mean it's wrong and it doesn't mean it wouldn't work. It just means I'm either too busy to go out and do what Matt does in Manhattan and go talk to a design firms. Just go knock on the door and say, hey, what's going on? You know, we're a dev shop and uh, we have design capability, but really you're the experts there. Why don't we partner up one of these days? You know, mm -hmm. we don't do that. We could, we should. And I would take my knowledge of the client profile and that would pre-qualify some people that I would talk to. I haven't done it, and I don't, I don't have proof that it would work. Um, but it does help to have a profile, uh, or different types of profiles, where you have been successful in the past, so that when you evaluate a new client coming in, you have, um, you have a much clearer picture and much firmer ground upon which to stand when you say yes or no. Sure. That's what a client profile does for me. Mm -hmm. And in that sense, it's, it's really valuable. The client profile would ultimately help me um, market and advertise and help me come up with ways to reach out to um, clients of, of a similar nature. Here's another really important part of the concept of a client profile. Working with Expression Engine the way we do and knowing how to code, we're in the position to create economies of scale. So you could potentially have a client profile and have some solutions that you can deploy for those types of clients where it's easy for you to spin up a site of a certain kind and customize it a little bit before you launch it. So a client profile allows you to do things on the software side, on the product side, where you could potentially enjoy some economies of scale, start charging fixed prices for example, and um, you know, just make it really easy to write a script that will spin up a new, a new site based on a template or a theme or whatever. So that's another benefit of client profile. Um, there's something else you, you said earlier in the talk that was part of your, um, that drove uh, incoming new business. Mm -hmm. And I want to come back to that and spend some time before we run out of time. 
You said that one of the main drivers of uh, the word of mouth referral process for you was the satisfaction that your clients had in your process. So your project management process, um, the way you interact with and, and deal with people, the way you plan, the way you usher a project through from beginning to end, you believe that that feeds new business. You believe that creates um, you know, a sense of uh, client well-being. Not only is the product good, but the process through which you got there was good. Have I characterized all that correctly and can you speak about that some more? Sure, um, that's definitely correct. Um, a big part of that is, you know, our industry is littered with horrible experiences. Um, you know, clients hiring someone and um, for one reason or multiple, um, the end result being lackluster or even awful. Um, we, we've had a number of folks where they come to us and they're just really tense and they're scared and worried um, and sometimes angry because of bad experiences they've had in the past with other web developers or web designers. Yeah. And I think part of that, I don't know, I, I've, I have my own little theories of, of why that is, but um, those scenarios are, are the ones where we most likely will get um, some type of referral uh, almost immediately after or even in the middle of a project because the experience that they have with us um, is so different from that that they're familiar with. Um, for someone who's never even worked on a website before or, or hired somebody to build a website or, uh, or uh, you know, any type of branding process, our process is comfortable and enjoyable, but it's sometimes not necessarily compared with a bad experience and thus deemed um, remarkable. <laughs> um, I like to think that we have a, a good experience and that's something that we continually work on improving. Um, but you know, when when you have someone who was just burned, and then they come and hire someone else who treats them like royalty and actually does what they say they're going to do, and you know respects a budget, respects a schedule, and and communication is really great. Then then even if the project you know has slums or just little valleys where things aren't amazing, ultimately the big picture is that they had a really great experience, you know, contrasting with their old ones. So. The, the opportunity that we have to serve people um, changes based on their prior experience, uh, but almost always they have a good experience. We even had um, a project where we killed it midway. Uh, both it was, a, it was a bilateral agreement. We, didn't, you know, we decided we weren't really the best fit. They, the client agreed, and we, we canned the project, and we were all really happy, mainly just because the experience was really great. And, we set expectations accordingly uh, pretty early, and um, it just—it was just a uh, the the path had already sort of been laid, and we could you know go one of multiple directions throughout the process or project, and it was just a, a pleasant. It's something you wouldn't think of being a pleasant experience, you know, having to to cancel a project, but it it was just because um, I think that Focus Lab we we. We pay a lot of attention to, to our communication, and we put a lot of effort into making sure that that we're clear, um, that we say what we mean, and we mean what we say, and and there's no you know hidden secrets along the way. And it, I mean, these are all really simple concepts, but they really set a really strong foundation um, for that experience that the client gets. And when there's that good experience, you're way more likely to get some type of referral uh, at the end of the road or in the middle, like I said. Do you have project managers? 
Oh, we have one, yes. And so, that's a big part of it. So that one project manager governs all the projects in any given time? Yes. So that you're careful not to overload that project manager. This is part of your structure. Like you, you have oh, to absolutely. say no to a certain volume, right? Yeah, and, and we and that that actually inhibits our sales cycle as well. Because mm -hmm. unless we want to add another project manager, if we keep doing these sales, then that quality uh, throughout a project's duration is going to drop, yeah. or we need another project manager. Uh, we can you know could go a number of different directions, but I mean the sales tie right back into our project manager's workload. So so what's your exit? I mean, as you shape a company, you know that one of the responsible things you've got to do is think about the end. Um, think about are you just going to do this until you retire? Are you doing this to build a company that can be sold? Are you doing this so that you uh, step down, let somebody else run it, and they send you a check every month? Um, as you shape this thing and as you get it, um, you know, get it into a, a positive uh, forward momentum and as you um, carefully let it grow, kind of control its growth, um, to what end? Yeah, I don't have any form of, you know, exit strategy, especially in this kind of services arena that's not as commonly thrown around. But I have, um, I love what I'm doing right now. Bill and I have uh, been working on and will continue to build this company that is, again, just about people. And we have the name Focus Lab because it doesn't say what we do. So in 10 years, if we're not building websites, that's fine. Yeah. Um, but we're going to be working with people. We're going to stay, you know, focused on our 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 values and and the things that that we as owners and as a company um, enjoy doing. And someday that may mean that we sell it to somebody else. I highly doubt that at this point. Someday it may mean I hand it down to someone uh, in terms of you know my role. Um, it may mean um, that I just do it till I'm dead. And frankly, I don't know, and I don't really care right now. Yeah. Um, I I'm not one to plan really long term and at this point that's a really long term question well it's it's still a good meditation though um, especially when you're especially when you're thinking about uh, the saying no you know as an example imagine um, imagine imagine a really large you know fortune 100 company came to you maybe they already have but came to you and said um, we've decided to farm out all of our design and it's got to be you and we need you to scale up to five times your current size so that you can accommodate us and we're going to pay double what, whatever rate you're accustomed to getting um, if, if you haven't thought about the end the exit for you then how can you answer that question I can answer that question based on our company's uh, values. So, you know, if, if we have uh, a value of people over projects and those people suck, then I'm not going to work with them. Yeah. Now, if those people are amazing, I'll say, hey, those people are amazing. But in two years, those, f those five people that are amazing who are brokering this deal might be at another Fortune 100 company. Yeah. And then what then? What's that project worth? Is it worth the risk yeah. of no longer having the company that we have today in those small two years? Um, and so, just specifically to that example uh, or to that question, um, I would really do be, it, the decision would be a lot of risk management, and, and I don't know, um, I don't know that I need a, necessarily an exit strategy to help me drive through that decision. So you're, you have this interesting tension that I can relate to. Uh, at the beginning of the conversation, you said, um, 
in November we prepared to really go gangbusters starting January that we want to um, really have a banner year in 2013. Um, in other words, you want to grow. But on the other hand, you're saying that you, you perceive growth as an area of risk. And Always. really in this conversation, that's what you've emphasized the most, is that growth poses a great deal of risk. It, it's, mm-hmm. And this, I'm going to switch to my words, not yours. Sure. Growth is seductive. Um, it, it, you know, it's, it's, it, it can signal um, a success for a business founder that we, that we crave. It's a recognition that we crave. There's money involved. But growth can crash your company. Absolutely. It can crash your team. It can crash that experience you have when you show up at work in the morning or you're driving to work and you're thinking, you know, I'm really glad I'm going here because I'm going to be interacting with people I really like and enjoy. It can ruin all of that. Mm-hmm. So how are you dealing with that tension between the two things of how you how are you driving new business and new incoming work um, and you're wanting to have an expanded year. You're wanting to double again. Um, but how, you, how do you measure that tension against your awareness that growth can be so risky? That is a, man, these are awesome questions and, you know, it's something that we could go on and on again about, uh, or more about, but um, really, seven minutes. What, it, <laughs> seven minutes, all right. what, what it comes down to for me uh, is that all the decisions that I make are ultimately impacting my family, and at this point, as a business owner, the families of those already here. There you go. And, and that's, again, it just goes right back to our people over projects yeah. mantra, is that, you know, I, I have a responsibility to um, to the people at Focus Lab, the people who are here today, and the people who are here tomorrow, and um, we are going to be the tortoise and not the hare by design yeah. and by intent. And you know, I think that experiences, our experiences shape who we are in you know personal life and business life, which is always funny how those are separated because you know you, business is part of your life if you own oh, a business, yeah. so they're, they're really just the same. But um, you know, our experiences shape those things, and I personally have experienced multiple friends. Who have grown too quickly and just drove driven their their companies into the ground, and as a result, people are out of jobs, and it, it's just nasty business. Yeah, that's right. um, and I think that just having that experience, just knowing those people who are fairly close to me, I have um, a strong desire to not. I really like the way you put it to not be just seduced by growth opportunities, um, and so that that has probably given me. Uh, a stronger um, awareness of the risk of growth than I may have otherwise had. So how is, um, I mean, you're describing, um, you've got a, a, a mission statement or a mantra that um, governs how you um, deal with the question of growth and its risk, and that is people over projects. Um, doubling revenue every year, year over year, and including this year as your goal, how is how is doubling, you know, not uh, extreme growth? I mean, that's a lot of growth. How are you not going to staff up to to accommodate that? How are you going to maintain company culture if you double? Well, the really good news about the word double is that it's just a percentage, <laughs> and that if you double hundred dollars from last year, two hundred this year, you still doubled. <laughs> so, I think that perhaps the numbers are. Um, uh, make it easier than than they would be. You know, we've had a, a fairly small team of contractors, for example, and this could go into a, a whole other discussion. Um, and and we've simply been um, uh, taking our existing team of contractors and then 
giving them full-time jobs basically and that's how part of our growth has occurred yeah now this year that's not going to be uh, we don't have that ability to uh, double our team uh, but one thing I don't want to confuse with is, is that doubling our revenue is not necessarily doubling our team mm. and so this year we're taking some making some changes that will um, hopefully allow us to double that revenue with a fairly similar team structure and um, we will add some people um, but I mean it's, it's not going to be a, a huge change um, uh, and we're, I mean, we're, I'm, we're already well on track for this so we, we know it's possible um, and and uh, you know at some point we will enter into new challenges and new um, hard questions to ask and problems to solve as a team as a growing team um, but right now the foundation we laid last year is really really helping the um, the need that we have to grow in order to make the revenue grow mm -hmm. well I want to have that discussion with you it's obvious to me that the next um, set of conversations I have will be about business structure and, and in particular when we come back hopefully you'll agree to talk with me again about that um, I'd love to the there is also a you know growth is seductive but there's also financial milestones that are seductive like there's oh yeah you know like there's the 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 year that you first broke a hundred thousand the year that you first mm -hmm. broke five hundred thousand you know and so on and so forth but those are you know that's gross revenue versus profit and profit's mm -hmm. really where we should be interested um, right and and I think you and I will probably both agree that profit is secondary to the, the mission statement being met that the people have come first so I mean you got to be profitable to keep the doors open you, you know you can't offer anyone jobs and create that good vibe unless there's uh, unless you're profitable but you're telling me that you, you you've made some changes that are going to make you um, more profitable than you were in the past with the same right. group of people so I want to know I want to know what that is but we're I'd love to have that talk we're out of time so yeah. Eric uh, this is a great conversation um, I think we need three hours instead of one <laughs> um, but I really Agreed. appreciate your time. I know you're super busy, and you made time for this, and I'm I'm really grateful for that. Um, well, uh, thanks for thanks for thinking of me, and and I gotta say, just from listening to, um, you know, the, your chat with Matt, and then today, uh, I think that that this is going to be an awesome asset to anyone listening, uh, EE or otherwise. And there's something about um, the way that you ask questions that makes this great. So I thank you for taking the time and the initiative to, to do this. Well, it's all selfish. All of this is for me. It's not for anybody else. I get it. I get it. <laughs> all right. Thank you, Eric. Thank you. Talk soon. All right. Bye. Bye.